Welcome to Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood, a podcast that's all about changing the way we view midlife and bringing the conversation about menopause out into the open. Each week we share stories, experiences and inspiration. We talk to experts on how to best navigate this time of life and find out how other people have not only survived but thrived through this time. I'm your host, Karen O'Connor. Today I'm here with Rachel Layton. Rachel's a certified alcohol coach who works with women in midlife who are rethinking their drinking. I really like that. Her own relationship with alcohol changed when she realized that her drinking was making her menopause symptoms worse. And she now works with women who are worried about their drinking and helps them to regain back control. Hello and welcome, Rachel. Thanks, Karen. Great to be here. Now, there's a couple of things because I really noticed that when I have just a single glass of wine, my night sweats are shocking, can't function the next day. And I'm like, seriously, I've had one glass of wine. This is not good. And I don't sleep. That's the worst thing. My husband doesn't get it at all. But if I have just one glass of wine, like kibosh the sleep, I'm awake at half past two, three o'clock and that's it. I know. Is that what happened to you? What happened? Yeah, it was. I was worried about my drinking anyway, because it coincided with COVID as well. So with COVID, I felt I was worried about, oh, am I drinking too much? Is it affecting my health and my fitness and all those sorts of things? And then COVID hit and I was working from home and I was stressed and I started, I used to only be a weekend drinker and weekends were like Friday, Saturday and Sunday nights. And then all of a sudden it'd be like, oh, it's a Thursday night, I'll drink. And then it's a Wednesday, it's it's a stressful day kind of thing, I'll have a drink. So I was worried about that aspect of it. And then my menopause symptoms were increasing it and I realized same sort of thing I was waking up in the middle of the night all the time and it was worse when I had a drink and I've since found out why it's um, with our hormonal changes our body temperature is trying to regulate all the time and it's all over the shop as we know but you add alcohol to that and processing alcohol does a similar sort of thing so it's trying to regulate that temperature so you've got this it's adding fuel to the fire in that way so you've got the the double whammy of menopause and the sleeplessness so yeah I was regularly waking up at three o'clock in the morning and it was it took me a long time to click longer than I, I want to admit but it was like because I didn't drink every night it was it's like, oh, when I'm drinking, it's actually worse. And it's probably that cumulative effect as well. But yeah, it was. And then you lie there and, and as you're trying to get back to sleep at three o'clock in the morning, the more you think about it, the harder it is to get back. So it's that vicious cycle, then whatever the next day. And ugh. so that was one of the triggers, the hot flushes. But also during the day, I felt my hot flushes and I was like, oh, is this just menopause or is it part of the drinking? Is it? what is causing this yeah I I just felt maybe this is the time that I rethink the way I'm drinking what did you do how did you go about it what made you stop drinking completely because I know a lot of my friends will have a glass of wine with dinner or a glass of wine every evening Every evening, just to chill themselves down. My husband, he's a bloke and he can cope with it. What made you stop that? Because a lot of people, that was where I was going. A lot of people think that just having one glass of an evening is okay. And it is every evening. And then they'll have a few more glasses on the weekend. Mm. Yeah. 
I'm not one to say this is how much you should drink. And if you drink more than that, then that's a problem. I think it is dependent on how you feel and how that works with you. So it is very complicated. And I realize that within myself. So it actually took me quite a few years. So about almost a bit over five years ago, I gave up for six months because I was worried that I was drinking more than I should be. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to take a break because I tried to moderate and, and cut back. And that's actually... It can be quite difficult and there's reasons for that because it the again the way that alcohol works in our bodies so when you have a couple of drinks you your inhibitions you know what it's like you'll say things you'll do things that you normally wouldn't do if you're stone cold sober and so your inhibitions are down and so you go I'll just have another drink. But also it is the way that alcohol works in the body so that body tries to get and I won't go into the full science of it but the body tries to keep a balance within itself homeostasis and so you're putting depressant in then the body counters with stimulants and there's this whole thing going on so then it leads you to want another drink and then another drink so that was happening to me I didn't realize the science behind it but I was finding it more and more difficult to actually moderate and I thought you know what I'll try and give up for six months and I did I I had a change of lifestyle change of job and it was easier for me and I really got into my fitness so it was a health thing it was a health and fitness thing and it worked but I hadn't had the mind shift around it so after six months I was like oh you know what I've tackled this I'll go back to drinking and I'll just moderate And when I did, it just went back to I was drinking the same way that I did before. And it was affecting my sleep, my energy levels, my fitness, all of those things. And I went, I'm right back where I started. So then it took me another five years to get to this. So I guess back to your question is for me, stopping drinking was always, I always resisted it because it was just such a drastic step. And I was like, unless, and this is a cultural thing, unless you're an alcoholic, you don't give up drinking. Even that six months seemed a really drastic thing for me to do, to give up drinking fast and you don't drink during the week, things like that are are normal, but to give up, you have to have a problem. So that was my stumbling block. And then I realized I was asking the wrong question. It wasn't like, because I was becoming fixated on it. It's like when you're on a diet and then you just become obsessed with how much you're putting into your body. So I was getting a bit like that. And I knew it wasn't doing me any favors. And I actually spoke with my brother and he had given up drinking and he had done it really on the down low. So we had this conversation. I I wasn't even aware. He'd given up for about six months by then and we'd had Christmases and everything. And he said, no, I'm not drinking. And I'm like, oh my gosh, really? And he doesn't do me any favors. I try and get up on Saturday morning or I get up on Saturday morning with the kids, go to sport and whatever. And I felt like crap. So I wanted to not feel like crap. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to feel like crap either. And so anyway, he put me onto a book called This Naked Mind by Annie Grace. So she's an American woman who, who went through a similar sort of thing. And she went into all the science, the behavioral science, the psychology, did a whole heap of research for her own purposes, basically, and realized there was all this beliefs and thoughts around alcohol are so complex. And so she started to strip that away and really get curious and investigate what we think about alcohol and so this book was and I know people say game changer and and put that word out there a lot but 
for me, it really was a game changer. I was like, oh my gosh, it made me look at it in a whole new way because I really had this strong belief that you had to be an alcoholic to give up drinking and it had to be drastic. And if you didn't drink, then life is boring. My social life was all around drinking. I'd go out to dinner with my partner. You go to a restaurant, you'd have wine. I'd go to lunches with the girls and you have wine. You go to the movies nowadays and you grab a glass of wine and maybe I hang around with a lot of boozy people, but that my social life was really catching up with people. You'd go over to people's houses, come over for a drink. That's what people say, meet you after work for a drink. So I really thought, well, no, I don't, I don't want to be boring. So anyway, this conversation with my brother and then reading the book was a real game changer. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to really look at my thinking around drinking. And I, I realised the two key things for me were that he was a stress reliever, alcohol. So for me, busy life, we all have busy lives, you know, work, family, social life, home life, all those things. And for me, just sitting down and having that glass of wine was that that I needed and I that I needed. And that was the wording. And the other thing was that social side of it. I can't socialize because all my friends drink, my partner drinks, my family, everybody around me, except for my brother, everyone I knew drank. And it was just weird if you didn't. So they were my two stumbling blocks. And so I started doing the work to understand, not just to give up drinking, to see, hey, does this affect my menopause symptoms and will it make things better? But also started looking at that thinking that I had around it. And that was the difference between taking the six months off and now I'm 18 months off. And that was the difference between the two. And now I don't see it. It's not for everybody. I get that. But I don't see it as depriving myself. I don't feel, I I use it as I'm choosing an alcohol-free lifestyle. I don't say I've given up drinking because it's a different approach. I don't, it's a choice and I can go and drink whenever I want. And that is really freeing for me. It's I just don't want to anymore. And I guess if you told me, even five years ago when I gave up for six months, if you told me that I would be talking like this and thinking like that, I'd be like, really? I don't believe you because it was just such a part of my life. Yeah, it was working on the thinking behind it that really changed that. And then because life was better, because not just the menopause symptoms, but my fitness. I noticed that my, and I'm quite into fitness, that was being affected with drinking. I found it more, if I drank and then I went out for, I used to be into running, I don't run anymore, but that was a lot harder. Going to the gym was a lot harder. And it does a a couple of drinks and you go to the gym the next day and you're like, Yeah. And it didn't affect the key thing for me, I think, was it didn't affect my social life. It didn't affect all the things that I I can relax without it. So again, that was the, oh my gosh, I guess I thought drinking gave me all this um, stuff, but I was putting, giving it all this power, that more power than it probably needed. Um, Yeah. It's interesting you saying that because our society is built around drinking. It's everything's drink. Even just watching a television program, and you'll see two people. They'll go home in the evening, and they'll open a bottle of wine and have a glass of wine each. And 
it is expected. You, we go out for an alcoholic drink and my husband, the alcohol doesn't really affect him. He's a bloke. He's got the metabolism. So we'll go have a glass of wine or you go out with your friends and they'll go, oh, aren't you drinking? And that was what, because I gave up for 18 months as well a few oh, years ago. Felt great. Didn't suit my husband. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting because I never drank all the way through university. I never drank, rarely had a drink. I just was not interested. So it's crept up over the years, which is an interesting thing. It's not like I took to alcohol and I really liked it. And I don't really miss it when I don't have it. It's just that in a social situation, I feel obliged to have a drink. So it's interesting that you're saying that because it is all an expectation And I also hate going out with a group of people and they're all getting drunk and I'm stone cold sober. There is not a lot enjoyable about that. I know. That kind of put me off because I I would look back on days when I was pregnant days. I've got two sons. And so both times I was pregnant or breastfeeding. So there was a long period where I didn't drink, obviously, with that. And also when I was a young mum, I didn't drink because it was just the idea of waking up to toddlers and babies and whatever after drinking. You just, so I rarely drank then. Whereas I see now the mummy wine culture and I think it is more of a, okay, you've had a a hard day with the kids, open a a, a bottle of wine. But yeah, I agree with you when I was, although when I was younger, I I did, before I had children, I did because I I lived overseas and it was very much a a drinking culture. I lived in London and you pub on every corner, that type of thing. So that was part of the social life. Yeah. So I agree with you. It becomes your socializing and also with your partner as well. And as you say, men can drink more than women. So I separated from my first partner, who's the father of my children. And and that was part of the reason I think when I look back, when I started to use alcohol as a sort of stress relief or a to sort of bury some of those emotions. So people use alcohol in different ways. And I think it does become a little bit dangerous. I know it becomes a lot dangerous when you start to use it for things like stress relief or numbing the pain of say a broken relationship or any of those things because then it becomes a crutch rather than something that you just use to go out and socialize so there there is a different way of drinking when it becomes like that and then that becomes embedded in your thoughts about I need it if I'm stressed I need it if I'm going through a hard time I need it and I think that's when you get into dangerous territory but then I met my new partner and I'm not saying he, he led me to drink. You're keeping up with somebody as well. And as a man, they, as you say, they can drink more than you can. But also, interestingly, that was one of the reasons that I was worried about stopping. I thought, and he had that concern. We talked about it and I said, I want to, to stop and give it a break and see how I feel. And he said, we won't have any fun anymore. And I said, we will. We can do all the things that we did. I will just have something else in my glass and I have a lot of, I'm really into alcohol-free drinks. There's all these amazing drinks out there and same with social life. You know how you're saying that you feel like you're going to be missing out. So if I go to a girl's lunch, say, I'll bring a bottle of non-alcoholic bubbly. And um, to the point where, and everybody knows now that I don't drink, I bring my bubbly or you go out to restaurants and restaurants are getting better with this and bars of having alcohol-free options. 
And so everyone wants to have a taste then or they're curious about it. They're like, oh, let me check that out. And I've had friends who have said, you know what, I'm going to, they drink during the week, say, get a bottle of this because they've tried my drink and I'm going to drink that during the week. When, you know, my husband opens a beer, I'll have a wine, a non-alcoholic wine, and I feel like I'm not missing out. So people have been substituting it in not giving up totally, but going, you know what, there's a way I can cut back and use these. And I just want to say that for some people, alcohol-free drinks like alcohol-free wines and beers and whatever don't work for them because it actually triggers them. So I think when you have more of a physical dependency and whatever, and that can trigger you too because they're so like the real thing. But for me, it was, and for lots of people, it's a good substitute. So I'll I'll just put that out there for people who have an issue. I don't like to use that sort of wording, but it could be a trigger to go, oh, I, I really like this. I really miss my beer. I'll go back to the real McCoy. But for me, it was the opposite. It was like, you know what? I can still have something that's not like a soda water although I don't mind soda water to be honest but I can go out and have these drinks and I can go to bars and I'll just say to the the person behind the bar the bartender I'll say oh do you do anything most of them have mocktails lots of them have alcohol-free gins say or alcohol-free wines yeah it's amazing I wouldn't have known because I would always go to the wine list look for New Zealand Savvy Blanc and that's what I'd order. I'd never go into a bottle shop to look for what's out there. And now that I know there's so many beers, wines and alcohol-free gins and botanicals and mocktails, it's brilliant. Talk to me about the psychology behind it, behind giving up, because it's got to be like, I suppose it's a version of Noom, the diet thing where they work on the psychology of why you eat, what you do and the way you do. It's the same kind of thing, isn't it? It really is. And I find that fascinating. I work in my corporate job is in communications and in change communications. And that idea of behavioral change and our thinking is really fascinating, the psychology behind it. So in terms of drinking, and this is what I do now as an alcohol coach, it's working with people on their beliefs and thoughts around alcohol. So we really think or drinking And it goes beyond that. It goes to our whole lifestyle. But I'll use uh, my own experience in terms of stress. So I always, for me, alcohol relieves stress. And so I just couldn't imagine not drinking because my belief, which I thought was 100% true, was that I have a glass of wine, it de-stresses me, and I can't give up on that because what else will I have? And then I started to examine that and I was like, you know what, there is a grain of truth in that because alcohol works in a way that it does suppress. There is a a suppressant effect or depressant effect in it. But there's also, back to what I was saying before, the body is a complex machine and the mind is a complex machine. So then there's other things that counter that. So you have the depressant effect and stimulants working within your body and this is all going on. And so then you have another drink and, and your body is trying to regulate into this balanced state, this homeostasis. 
And that's actually causing a lot of stress in your body. And then you're waking up at three o'clock in the morning going, oh my gosh, maybe I shouldn't have drunk that much. And now I'm hot and cold. I've got the hot flushes. Is this because of menopause? Is this drinking? So that's stressful. Then you wake up the next day and you're like, oh God, I don't feel like going to the gym this morning because I feel like crap. So you're not getting the, the, the natural and better way of stress relief. And so when I started cutting it all down or breaking it, sorry, breaking it all down like that, it was like, really is this the stress relief that I thought it was and I was like oh my gosh it's like the I describe it like the Wizard of Oz kind of thing you pull back that curtain you see the little man on his little control thing and you go oh alcohol was doing that it was pretending to be this thing but as you say it's Something that is, you turn on the telly or you watch a movie or you read a book or you see it in your own, God, on social media. I go and buy a card for people. And if you're buying for a male person in your life, there's beer and whatever, and there's all these jokey things about having a beer. And for women, it's two champagne glasses or wine or with all these jokes about it. So culturally, we just fed this idea that it's fun, it will relieve stress, it will, if you're down, you can have it. If you want to be up, you can have it. It's just... Sorry for interrupting. There's also the what's wrong with you if you don't want to drink. You are... That does come at you. Oh, what's the matter? What's wrong with you? Yeah, totally. And that was the hardest thing at the beginning. I was very cautious about saying it to anybody. And at first I actually did look at it as a three-month thing. I, I thought it would be longer term, but I it just felt safer to me and it felt safer to say to other people that I was going to cut back for three months to see if it would work. And it was the menopause stuff. It was the fitness stuff, but it was just that underlying for five or six years being worried about my drinking and going, this isn't, I don't like the way it's going and I'm fixating on it. It was all of those things. And I thought, you know what, if I can say three months, then that's, for me, it doesn't feel like a long, that was still long-term to be honest, three months, but it doesn't seem like it's forever. And also it's when people ask, I can say it's three months, but now that I say, no, 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 I'm choosing not to drink now. And people are almost too worried to say what's wrong with you. But some people have said, oh my gosh, I didn't think it was that bad. I didn't. So you can hear in their hair, you can see the light bulb go off and go, God, was she an alcoholic or because that's what I would have thought to be honest it's like god it must have been bad if you're giving up totally like god that's drastic and people have said that too that's drastic sure you want to do something that drastic and I'm like yeah I feel great (laughs) I don't feel I'm depriving myself and this is if I said that to myself five years ago I'd be like are you crazy (laughs) you know so it's funny isn't it because as you're talking I'm thinking ah If we choose to say, look, I'm not drinking, it's easy to say, I've given up dry July. I'm doing a dry July. Okay, everybody gets it. But beyond that, we've really got to justify our decision to not drink to other people. And I wonder how many people... It's like a barrier pressure, or yeah how much yeah. of a barrier that is to people actually giving up because they don't know what to say when somebody says to them oh what's wrong with you or why are you doing that is, is there something wrong how do you, you, you there is this need to justify yeah 
And that was, that definitely was a barrier for me. I was like, no, this is too, and that's why I spent years and years trying to moderate. No, I'll just cut back. No, I'll just, and I did all these things. I'll only drink on certain days. I'll only drink so much. I'll only, I'll drink a water with every glass of wine. And I was trying to put all these things in place. And that's when it became, you fixate on it and it becomes this thing that is bigger than it is. Because I, I just didn't want to give up because one the reasons as I was saying that I thought it did all these things for me but two I didn't nobody wants to be different to everybody else nobody wants to live this weirdo life where you're sober sober to me was you only did that if you're pregnant if you religious and cultural reasons lots of people actually don't drink because of their religious and cultural reasons but I'm from an Irish Catholic background so there are no religious or cultural reasons for Irish Catholics not to drink so that wasn't my thing yeah and it's so it or if you're a reforming alcoholic they were the three reasons for me so it was this kind of it it took me a long time to get there and go you know what there might be actually some benefit in in not doing this but it was that what will people say what will people think and and it's crazy because then you go I used to smoke and so if I was smoking half a pack a day or whatever and I gave up no one would turn around and go oh my god I didn't realize it was that bad should you really cut it out completely why don't you just go back to five a day or a pack on the weekend or something people go good on you you're doing that for your health that type of thing Whereas drinking, it's, whoa, gee, were you that bad? And the question is always, how much did you drink? Because people want to know where they fall on that spectrum. Okay, if she drank this much, I'm still okay because I'm here. Or if she drank that much and I'm the equivalent, oh my God, does that mean I have to do it? And I, I say to people, it doesn't matter how much you drink. It's some people, they have two glasses a night every night and decide not to to so some people drink loads more than that some people like me don't drink every night but drink more than they want to on weekends and their weekends become four days out of the seven yeah I I think it's not how much or am I bad enough it's flipping that question and going would I feel better if I took a break and the break doesn't have to be forever. I never say forever. I just say I'm choosing not to drink now and I'm feeling good and I don't put a time frame. I think that's the other thing. People look at forever and go, whoa. Whereas for me, it's I'm choosing to do this. And I look at it like exercise when I exercise regularly and I've never, and I do it for my health and my mental and physical health. And I would argue that not drinking is for my mental and physical health because same sort of thing, moods and that type of thing, which again is a menopause thing. We get moodier, so that exacerbates it, drinking, which I found. So with exercise, when I started a regular exercise routine, I never said this is forever kind of thing. It was just, I'm doing this for my mental and physical health and I just keep doing it because I feel good doing it. And so I look at my choice not to drink in a similar sort of vein. It's this is good for my mental and physical health. I'll keep doing it while it's good for my mental and physical health. It's interesting as you're talking because I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to grasp at something and I haven't quite got it yet. It's almost as though the draw to drink alcohol is much greater than the draw to live a healthy lifestyle. And so how do you put it's time to give up alcohol into terms that people will 
want to accept and take on board because the cultural thing is that it's a good thing to have alcohol. And 60 years ago, it was a good thing to smoke. And are we going through that same transition with alcohol now in 30 years' time where we look back at all the TV programs? They still smoke in TV programs. I can't understand that. Will we look back on the alcohol in the same way that we look on smoking now? Because it's almost a decision to move away from a central tenet of our culture, which is to drink. Do you know what I mean? It's not as attractive. Not drinking is not as attractive as drinking in general. This is a generalization and I haven't quite got to the bottom of what I'm trying to say here, but do you understand what I'm trying to say? Yeah, totally. Because that was my big thing. It wasn't even a it's such a cultural norm. It's such a part of our life. It's such a part of everything. You, you go out to dinner and you have a wine or, or whatever drink of, of choice. You would never in a million years, you go on holiday, my gosh, mm-hmm. going on holiday, you never think of going on holiday and not, that's all part of it. Sundowners or cocktails on the beach. And, and that's all part of the package. I've got Facebook posts where I've got the cocktail by the beach or the glass of wine with the cheese platter, or I'd scroll through my Facebook and there's a million photos of alcohol there. So it's all, it's a cultural norm. It, it signals us having fun, relaxing, being out and about, clinking glasses with our girlfriends, clinking glasses with our husband. God, so many people, if they wanted to give me a present for something, it would it'd be a bottle of wine or a bottle of champagne or whatever. So it is so ingrained. And I think for, and I don't know if this is what you're getting at, because it is just seen as such a cultural norm. I, I think part of it is that we don't even consider the the idea of giving up because back to what I said before that it is such a drastic thing that you'd only do that if you had a real problem so I think opening up the conversation and the more people are talking about it as an option and saying hey and I'm not saying this is for everybody I'm not on some sort of bandwagon to get everybody to kick the booze or whatever but I do think the conversation around, hey, would I feel better if I cut back or took a break is one that we starting to happen. I know that amongst my friends, we talk about that in terms of, again, because of menopause, a lot of them have gone, you know what, I, I feel that and, and because they've seen my experience and because I've talked about what has happened in terms of my menopausal symptoms, they've given it a try. And so we have those conversations. And I think the more it's opened up and gone, oh, this isn't a weird thing to do. This isn't a drastic thing to do. Because that's, I know so many people, it holds them back. And when I coach people, that is a key thing. Some people find it quite easy to give up. It's not easy for everybody and I don't want to be flippant about that or, or make it out that it is easy for everybody and f- a physical dependence on alcohol is different but I think a lot of it is a mental dependence and that was definitely with me I could give up the stretches it wasn't a physical dependence but it was all the mental connotations that I had with it I, I can't give up I need it for this I need it for the other and I don't know if I've answered your question properly but it is because it's such a cultural norm that drinking is part of what we, we 
we do and who we are and it's weird if you don't it's having those conversations and changing that conversation like we did around around um, smoking but also the health side of it and being more open about it because the other side of it is all the health benefits and I've had people say that red wine that's supposed to be good for your health a glass of red wine there's surveys showing that but the reality of that is the study around that is that it's the grape, sorry, part of the grape that um, provides that antioxidant thing is just in the grapes. So you may as well have some red grapes. If you were really worried about your red wine, you would have your red grapes to get that antioxidant. Yeah, it, it is having that health conversation around it and going and looking at the impacts it has on you. And I'm talking mental health as well as physical health too. So. Hmm. Yeah, I think what I was trying to say was, for me, it seems to go beyond a cultural norm. And it's actually a cultural requirement. You can't be having fun if you're not having alcohol. If you want to relax, you should be having a glass of alcohol. If you want to have fun, you should be having alcohol. And that so it's beyond the norm. And it goes into a requirement almost. I think that's the point I was making. And so you've got to break away from, and that's probably why it's, it is so hard, so difficult to see an advantage to giving up alcohol in our culture, because it's a requirement in order to do things. If you want to relax, if you want to have fun, if you want to go out and enjoy yourself, if you want to be part of the group, it's a requirement for you to have alcohol almost. That's a really good point. It, it isn't a cultural norm. It's more than that. It's a cultural requirement. And that stops so many people. It stopped me. And I think that's why for that five or six years, I was really struggling with it because it was like, I'm finding it difficult to moderate, but like giving up was the worst it was something that I would almost talk to myself like a child. Well, Rachel, if you cannot get this under control, you will have to give up. It's, it's like you talk to your kids. If you're not good, you're going to have that toy taken away from you kind of thing. And that was me. I was talking to myself like a child. You're going to have to have that treat taken away from you. And it was the worst thing because it is just seen as such, I was going to say valued, but it's just such a part of our lives. I, I just couldn't imagine. And I've had this conversation with, which is quite an interesting conversation with friends afterwards. And I talked more about it. And I said, I was worried about how it would affect friendships and my relationship with my partner and whatever. And one of them said, I was worried that it would affect our friendship because you would see us all drinking the way that we drink and you would all of a sudden be like oh god and it's back to your when people are out and they're all drinking um and I've been in that situation quite a few times because I'm often the driver and so I'll be driving all these pissy people home basically and it does get a bit old by the end of the night you're like all right come on let's go <laughs> but it can be I look at it as it's quite funny now too and I don't feel like I'm missing out that's the thing I just keep looking and and having these conversations and and people are now relaxed that I'm not judging them it's not a judgment from me at all and that was what I had to make really clear at the beginning I think that is a thing that people think oh you're going to judge me now that I'm drinking and you're not and I'm like mate I was there with you at a year ago 18 months ago so I'm, I'm not judging you at all uh, you do you on the flip side I don't want anyone judging me as well for my choice and a lot of it to be honest is us once you have those conversations and I think 
back to that having the conversation being open about and I think we need to have these sorts of conversations it's so nuanced and complex and it's it's not black and white you're not either a normal drinker or or an alcoholic there is a whole spectrum of drinking and there's and people should have the choice to do to try it at least to try alcohol-free drinks if that's what they want and, and see how they go with that or, or just try and drink soda water if that's their preference but yeah it was my biggest fear and I'd say that's what held me back for five or six years from actually doing that because one I didn't even think it would be an option and two once I started thinking of it as an option it was a punishment it was like that was the last thing like if you don't get this under control that's it that's going to be your punishment kind of thing so yeah I I think you're right it is a cultural requirement because when you're thinking like that it's yeah it's almost time to wrap up now tell me how people can get in touch with you Okay, so my website is inspiredtochange.com.au. So I um, work with women who want to rethink their drinking. I work with men as well, but mainly women um, over 40. And so I offer one-on-one coaching, but I'm happy for people to reach out and just have a chat to me as well, because I believe that the conversation is really important to have. So if people are questioning it and just want to have a chat, I'm really open to that because when I was going through this, that's what I would have wanted, somebody who is not non-judgmental, who understood it to, to have that chat. I'm also on Instagram, so it's inspired to change Oz, A-U-S. Yeah, I'm really happy to have that conversation because I think it is a really important conversation to have. And I think there is, as I said before, it's very nuanced. There's a lot of grey areas in this and there's not a one size fits all either. Yeah. And being just being able to voice all your concerns like we've been talking about today and find a solution to I don't want to be the odd one out or what do I do when I go into this social situation. I think that's the key to finding some support, I think. Yeah. And you've also got a free download, haven't you, on your website? Is that right? I do. And I talked a bit about moderation and why it was, and the free download. So if you go to the website, inspiredtochange.com.au, it's on the homepage and you can download it. And it's the four reasons why moderation is so difficult. And it will talk you through why it is difficult to moderate, because that's what I felt within myself. I thought I feel weak-willed in this area, but in every other area of my life, I'm quite, I set goals, I keep to them, I do all this stuff, but in this one area, I'm not. And that explains the science behind it, the behavioral things. So there's, there's it, as I said, it's quite complex, but I talk about it in the guide in quite simple terms and then what you can then do about it as well. So how you overcome that. Thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. Yeah, thanks, Karen. It's been a great conversation to have because it's, I think it's an important conversation. And by the way, everybody, the links to Rachel's website will be on the webpage that go with this podcast. So you can head there if you didn't manage to catch that down. It's also in the bottom of the video as well. The web address is in the bottom of the video. So thank you so much. Thank you. It's been great. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood. 
Make sure you subscribe to the show on your favorite player. And while you're at it, we'd love you to leave us a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be amazing too. Be sure to tune in next week for the next episode. And remember, if you're busy thinking about what you can't have, how on earth are you going to enjoy what you can have? See you next week.